mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am Sean, your host, and with me as always is Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. Good evening, everyone. We are here tonight to talk to you guys about the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus. Uh, Samsung held their unpacked event recently in New York, and we want to cover everything that was discussed at the launch announcement. We'll talk about some of our thoughts around having some hands-on time with the devices, and then we'll go into a quick comparison with one of the other flagships out there that's following some of the new design language, uh, like Samsung, and that is the almost all screen phone and what we think about both of those two devices. But in the meantime, let's, uh, let's start with Samsung. What, uh, what did we hear from Unpack, Sean? So the Galaxy S8 was probably the most leaked phone on planet Earth. Um, over the last two months, we saw basically everything that Samsung announced. Pretty much everything, yes. Um, but we got two phones. We got the Samsung Galaxy S8 and the Samsung Galaxy S8 Plus. Um, so basically from a spec standpoint in the international market, you're getting an Exynos 8895 octa-core processor. Uh, in the United States, we're getting a Snapdragon 835, um, four gig of Ram. Um, we have 64 gigabytes of base storage plus SD card slot. Um, the screens are QHD AMOLED, so they are unusual resolution though. Um, they're stretched because of the 18 and a half to, uh, to nine aspect ratio, I guess it is. Correct. Um, and so they have a resolution of 2960 by 1440. So it's stretched QHD as we kind of knew it. So they're, they're long and tall. Um, we have a camera, still a 12 megapixel camera on the back with the dual phase, you know, autofocus pixels, if you will. But the sensors are actually upgraded. They're Sony IMX 333s. Um, so it is an up- updated module. Uh, Samsung was also big on the fact they changed a lot of the software and the first impressions are that the pictures are indeed a little bit nicer. Uh, so that's probably good news. Um, fingerprint scanner on the back. Uh, it's in the horrible location that we saw next to the camera. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we have uh, iris um, iris detection uh, for unlocking, just like we had on the Note 7. And then it has face unlocking, which we've seen in Android, I think, dating back to like the Galaxy Nexus. Um, they've kind of brought it back. Ice cream, yeah, I think ice cream sandwiches yeah. when it was introduced. Um, we've already seen videos of that being fooled by a uh, picture of a person, so that's that's great. Um, and then as far as the differences between the 8 and the 8 Plus, really just boils down to the screen size. The 8 is 5.8 inches, and the, the 8 Plus is 6.2. And the battery size, the uh, 8 has a 3,000 milliamp hour battery, and the 8 Plus has a 3,500 milliamp hour battery. And that's what we got. Both devices are uh, pretty cutting edge in terms of spec. Um, we've been talking for a while now that we'd like to see an increase in base storage, which uh, Samsung gladly obliged. We uh, thought that we might see a little bit of a spec bump to maybe six gigs of RAM. Didn't turn out to happen in the U.S. market anyways. And there's been some chatter about there. And I think we've t- touched on this in previous pods that you know, six gig of RAM might be overkill anyways, but um, the Snapdragon 835 much touted, which has been seen benchmark amongst the other leaks that we had as obviously the latest and greatest from Qualcomm. So the phones should fly, they should perform really well, they should look really well, 
And um, again, Samsung's reputation for hardware supremacy is probably amongst the uh, leaders in, in all of the phone OEMs out there right now. And I guess maybe that's kind of a good segue for what our first impressions are after having seen them. What do you think? Um, so, you know, I went to a Best Buy uh, that had them on display. And when I walked up, the first one that I picked up was actually the SA+. Plus. And it's so narrow in the hand that I actually thought it was the normal size SA and it felt small, which I know sounds insane when we're talking about a 6.2 inch phone. But, you know, I think it's key to realize here with the the new long aspect ratios, if you will, the, the surface area of a 6.2 inch um, 18 half to nine ratio screen like the Galaxy SA Plus has compared to like the 5.96 inch uh, Nexus 6, for instance, the Nexus 6, because it was 16.9, actually has more surface area uh, as far as the screen's concerned. So the phones, again, I know this sounds weird, they feel small. Um, they're very tall, obviously. Uh, it's 159 millimeters, so it's basically the same height as a uh, uh, iPhone 7 Plus and the Nexus 6P if you want to go back a little bit. So it's a tall phone, but because it's so narrow, it's only 73 millimeters and change wide, um, it feels like a much smaller phone than you would expect. It's also, it, it felt light uh, compared to my Note 5 as well. I, I don't know, it, just a lot narrower and a lot lighter. Um, the normal S8, the 5.8 inch one, which sounds like a huge screen, feels small to me. I, I put it in my hand and it's actually smaller than I would want a phone, um, even though you have a lot of screen area. I know that sounds nuts, but again, with these taller screens, kind of the, the inch measurement, it, doesn't tell the whole story anymore. Um, I would say the 5.8 inch phone from a size standpoint is basically like a taller iPhone 7, the small iPhone variant. That's what it feels like to me in hand. It, it doesn't feel like a big phone. Uh, from a construction standpoint, you know, it, it's very much the glass and metal frame sandwich we've seen some from Samsung going back three generations. But with the infinity screen, it, infinity display, as we're calling it. I think display I think that's is right. Samsung's marketing jargon, oh. which, which basically means, you know, display with very little in the way of bezel top and bottom and almost none on the side because uh, of the curved side. Um, it's very impressive looking. Um, you know, I think from a design standpoint, it really stands out when you put other phones next to it. Um, they look old. I put my Note 5 next to it, which really doesn't have a ton of bezel. It was small bezel at the time, and it looks quaint and antiquated comparatively. And, you know, I was laughing. Sean and I have been discussing even my Note 7 that I had briefly before, you know, they started exploding. But um, um, Which at the time was like, oh, this has such a small bezel. When you put it next to these new phones, it looks like a, a bezel pig. It, it's amazing how quickly things look outdated when you put them next to it. Um, so, yeah, construction is top-notch. Colors, I like all the colors. The orchid gray is a neat color. It's a little purplish for my taste, but neat nonetheless. The black is stealthy, and the, the metal frame is like a... Uh, it was matte on the Note 7, and on this one, it's more of a polished look, so it's kind of neat looking. And then the, the silver variant looked good, too. I think all the colors look nice. They all have a black face on the front, which was a good decision, I think, from Samsung. It hides the sensors that adorn the top and makes the bezel look even smaller, kind of adding to that infinite look, I guess, they're going for. But um, overall, the hardware's top-notch. I, I was very impressed. I agree. Um, and if you really want to get crazy with some bezelness, um, I posted on our Instagram feed, at uh, Silicon Theory, some pictures of both of the devices next to my Pixel XL. You want to talk about bezel? Um, 
the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus really do look like, and you had mentioned this before, and I didn't really think about it until I saw them in the Best Buy stores as well, that they look like phones from the future. And that, that absolutely rang true for me uh, when I saw them in person. And I felt the same way. Like I walked in and I looked first at the Galaxy S8 and it it's it's smaller than you might think, especially for when you just describe it to somebody. Oh, hey, there's this 5.8 inch display phone because the size of the form factor that we're used to with those kind of things is much along the nines of a, a Note or a uh, a Mate or you know one of the other you know phablet sized devices that's out there right now, and it's definitely smaller than that. It actually felt a little too narrow in hand, and I think uh, I think I did the same thing. I have a an iPhone 6s from work, and I compared the S8 to the width of the 6s, and it feels very similar, looked very similar. Um, and when I went to the S8 Plus and picked it up, I said, "Oh, okay, this is uh, a 6.2 inch display device that doesn't really feel like it." And it compares very favorably in overall form factor to my Pixel XL. Um, I think it might be a slight bit taller, and I don't remember the specifics. Yeah, I think it's on 158 it. versus 159 or something. Yeah. Very close. So negligible. And in terms of display real estate, obviously you're getting a great deal more um, in terms of not only the size and aspect ratio, but the, the brightness. Uh, I read on DisplayMate's review of it that I think it gets over 640 nits, which and that's on manual brightness. If you do the auto brightness, it'll generate over 1,000 nits, which again is just ridiculous. It's brighter. It, it actually, the screen would be so bright you wouldn't even be able to look at it. But the 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 feel of them in hand is really incredible. Um, I mentioned this on one of the other podcasts too. Like the, I really thought at first I was going to be bothered by the curvature of the display, but holding the Galaxy S8 Plus, it really didn't bother me at all. Like looking at it and just feeling it in the hand, it felt right. And I think you described this from the Note 7 where it's different from the Galaxy S7 Edge where the curve is much more pronounced. And the way that Samsung has managed to marry the curves on the back with the curves on the front while decreasing the angle of the curvature of the screen on both sides um, really is, it's a marvel of design. It really is a, a phone that was produced by a company who has a very strong focus on what these phones should look and feel like in hand. And they, they just absolutely nailed it. I can't say it any more than that. Which segues into the interesting kind of dichotomy of things that I don't like, which is kind of as you just outlined, the the front of the phone and the design of the phone is really ahead of anything else. Um, And then you flip it around the back and you see the fingerprint scanner and you go, like, what happened? Did they forget about it? And in the end, someone's just said, oh, crap, we have to graph that thing on there. Uh, Put it next to the camera. Um, I think my first thought was when I turned it over was something along the lines of why God, why we now know what happened. So for those of you that kind of have been following along with development, um, synaptic is a company that builds fingerprint scanners that go underneath the screen, front screen of the phone. And, uh, Xiaomi, I believe on the me five, I can't remember. It might've been the me six. They, they attempt, they use this, they had one of these and the results were not good. Kind of these ultrasonic fingerprint scanners. And the rumor all along in development with the Galaxy S8 was, yes, they're going to get rid of the home button. They're going to replace it with this under, you know, screen version. Uh, what's come out subsequently after the fact is that, yes, Samsung was trying to incorporate that. They invested a boatload of money trying to get this technology, you know, available. The results were poor. 
um, and they just decided that it wasn't ready for production. And so they had to add a fingerprint scanner at the last minute to the back, which is exactly what it looks like. Um, well, we've also found out after the fact, you know, there was also rumors that there was a dual camera variant running around, and we've now seen leaked prototypes that did have the dual cameras. So, you know, you, you can see what Samsung was going for. I'm sure their initial plan was to have a dual camera back with a fingerprint scanner built in under the front, um, under the screen. And when that didn't pan out, it just wasn't an acceptable solution. They moved it onto the back. Um, and you get kind of this compromise. And if you're right-handed and you hold your phone in your right hand, it's not the worst thing in the world beyond the fact that you're going to be smudging your camera all the time. But if you're left-handed, and it's strange I'm right-handed, but I carry my phone in my left hand typically, it's not very convenient to me. You really have to do kind of some juggling in your hand to do it. Uh, I actually pre-ordered a Galaxy S8 Plus, and my plan is probably to use the face unlock. Um, for just day-to-day -day use, and then it requires a fingerprint scanner for, like, you know, Samsung Pay. Um, I kind of feel like if someone's willing to take a picture of me and then steal my phone in order to open it, then they deserve whatever's on it, because it's just going to be boring junk anyway. But you can definitely tell, this is one of those areas where it, the design is so well thought out and so well executed, and then you see that, and you're just like, that's, that's too bad, because it clearly was an afterthought. Yeah, it, it's pretty much like you said, and I think that some of the other reports regarding the software for Face Unlock have have proven that the Samsung went, oh crap, we ran out of time, we got to do something with this fingerprint scanner, uh, because everyone knows that the Face Unlock is not a secure uh, unlock method. Um, the problems that existed in Ice Cream Sandwich still exist today is Samsung. It is insanely fast, which would then encourage you to use it more than the fingerprint scanner, because I'll say this you know, I'll go a step further. I don't think it's, uh, I think it's downright damn inconvenient for people who either use their phone left-handed or who are left-handed and use their phone. Like it's just, a, it's an awful placement. It's a terrible design. It's, it's straight up the worst fingerprint scanner location that I've seen on any mainstream phone. In, um, in I've, ever. I've heard it's fast at the store. I didn't get a chance to, to actually test the speed. So I, I guess that's good, but it's, it's bad. And, and it, it, it I think because everything else is so well executed, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Now, and we've kind of glossed over another thing that we'll now touch base on, which is it has an extra button on the side for Bixby. Bixby. So this is Samsung's digital assistant. It's their version of the Google Assistant. It's still unclear to me. Earlier on, they had bought an artificial intelligence company, and there was rumors that Bixby was going to be based off of that. Then later on, rumors said Bixby is actually just a fancy version of S-Voice. I still am unclear. I haven't seen anything definitively one way or the other of what, we, what we're dealing with here. Um, I do know this. This is one of those things where I'm not sure why Samsung is bothering. They use Google product apps, if you will, for a lot of different things, and Google Assistant would seem like the normal thing to have here. Uh, I'll probably give Bixby a shot just to see what it's all about, but I would imagine I'm going to stop using it pretty quickly. Um, the good news is we found out already that that button can be mapped for other things, like, for instance, launching Google Assistant, not through Samsung's software itself, but through third-party applications. So I think that's what I'll do personally. Uh, as far as Bixby's concerned, Samsung's trying to make a thing out of this, but even in the demos, it was limited. On release, it will only deal with Korean and English as far as languages, so it's pretty limited in that you know, capacity. The demos showed it mostly interacting with other Samsung apps, which I'm not using. Um, so, you know, 
this is just one of those things where I'm kind of like, I don't understand why they're spending a whole lot of time and energy developing something that Google already has fleshed out pretty well. Um, big shout the uh, folks over at The Verge, uh, because I listened the other day to one of the Vergecast episodes, and they talked a little bit about the introduction of Bixby and what it might be, what it could be. And um, a lot of it was very similar to the fingerprint scanner, their theory, and they had heard some of this because the company Viv that you're talking about is actually the company that developed Siri, and then Apple bought them, brought, brought the these group of developers on board, and then ultimately they didn't like the direction that Apple was taking with their product, so they left to go develop something else, which they called Viv, and then Samsung bought them. And the rumor was that it was supposed to be included in the Galaxy S8, but the production line had already gone into the works for the devices, and the design team for Viv couldn't get it on board in time. And so Bixby is truly an in-house solution, kind of like this evolution of S-Voice, if you will. And it's definitely uh, a product in the line of in the long, great line of Google products that were released well before they were finished that actually don't necessarily have a use case built into them right now. Because the way that the Bixby software operates is, yes, as you've already mentioned, it operates primarily with Samsung apps, but it also only is a local to the phone. So it will do actions for your phone. So you could say, turn on Bluetooth, and it would do that, but you couldn't command it to do a number of things that the Google Assistant already does. And yes, breaking news, congratulations to the folks who have figured out how to turn Bixby off and use that hardware button and map it to something else, because I think that's going to be a hell of a lot more useful to people who buy this phone than Bixby ever will be. I can tell you it's going to be one of the first things I do to mine when I get it. Congratulations. Uh, Other kind of hardware that Samsung showed was Dex, mm. which is uh, it's basically a $150 uh, docking station, I guess, if you will, that allows you to turn your Samsung Galaxy S8 into a desktop environment, mini PC, I guess you could call it. Um, in practice, it looked fine when people were using it, but this is one of those weird things where it's kind of like, I don't really see much of a use case. You'd have to have a spare monitor, a spare keyboard, and a spare mouse you'd have to buy this $150 add-on and pop your phone in. Um, it's fine. It, you know, if people have a lot of money and they want to try it out, I suppose they can, but I just, I don't, who's the market for this? I honestly don't have any idea why Dex exists. I really don't. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out actually whether or not Dex was chosen because A, it stands for desktop extension, hence the DEX, or if it was chosen because DEX sounds a lot like desk, which sounds a lot like desktop, which sounds a lot like your desktop computer. Um, I don't know that the people at Samsung really gave it that much thought, and honestly, the product feels like they really didn't give it that much thought, because I agree, I have no concept of what living human being would want to buy, and we haven't even touched on pricing yet, but would want to buy an over $800 phone and then spend another $150 to try and turn it into a $1,000 PC when you could just buy a PC for far less. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it back as I was looking at it to a, a very timely reference uh, from the Jurassic Park movie, which was you were so preoccupied with whether you could that you didn't stop to think if you should. Yes. So that's kind of the way I feel like Dex. It's like 
great. The, the phones are so powerful now that yes, you probably could have a meaningful experience perhaps using this as a desktop to some degree. Um, and I, it looks like it functions fine, but why? I don't understand why anyone would do it. It's just a, it's a bizarre. If it's for emerging markets, again, you have the problem of you have to buy this insanely expensive phone, the expensive dock, and still have a monitor and other things. Why would you do that? I I, I can't figure it out. You wouldn't actually, and I think that in grand Samsung tradition, their holistic objective ultimately is to try. Um, and bring on board the entire Samsung ecosystem. And this might be another extension of that ecosystem. They have smart things. Um, Samsung makes a ton of stuff that will now be connected stuff. So your phone will potentially relate to your refrigerator, which will relate to your washing machine or your dishwasher or the microwave or any of the gazillion electronics that Samsung makes. But Beyond that, it is very much in my mind like LG's G5 mods last year, which we argue were not really much more than a proof of concept and saying, hey, um, we're going to try this and see if it works out. And then next year they abandon it and move away from it. I think that the people who buy decks right now probably will have decks sitting on their desk collecting dust in about six months from now. In the future, I see buy a Galaxy Note 8 and get a free Dex. <laughs> that's what I see. That, that I'm peeking in my well Christmas hell in October. $150 that's, value. That's, 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 that's exactly what I've seen. <laughs> the, um, the short list of things that I don't like, um, you know, again, we're at a point where we're really just nitpicking about stuff, but um, phones are kind of slippery. Uh, I love them. They look great. Metal and glass is fantastic. It's a great way to build your phone. The design language is awesome, but that curvature also lends itself to being a little slippery in your hand. And believe me, if your phone is kind of slippery as your greatest argument against it, you probably bought a great phone. Um, I'm a little, I don't know if this maybe is a Samsung thing or if it's maybe something else that has to do with the storage, but I've seen in the past phones where the external SD card slot supported as yet to exist SD cards of up to two terabytes in storage. Mm -hmm. And yet the existing Samsung ones will only support up to 256 gigs, which, you know, again, only 256 gigs of storage. My God, what kind of third world storage system are we using? Like that's a ton of storage and you'll probably never even run out of the native 64 onboard storage anyways. But that seems a little unusual to me. Um, and maybe it's something that could be remedied in future releases of the device. And then uh, at that point, I think maybe price is the only thing that you can argue. But I will say, having having said that price, again, these are expensive phones and they are for a very um, different market than things like the Honor 8 and the ZTE Axon 7 and the OnePlus 3 and 3T. Um, so you go into that knowing this. But they were not quite as expensive as I think everyone is anticipating them to be, at, or certainly as I was anticipating them to be. So, And real quick before you hit pricing, I would say my disappointments would, there's a few. I mean, if Samsung was really going for the, hey, the Note 7 burnt to a crisp and we're, we're going for broke phone, um, I think, again, a better execution of the fingerprint scanner, either front or back, however they want to do it. Uh, dual cameras, while not expected, and I, 
this camera already seems to be an improvement over the already excellent S7, but I think dual cameras are kind of a thing and they're starting to show their value. So that might've been nice. Um, the design language is getting a little bit stale. Uh, you know, the front's brand new, but the back's basically the same and glass is still kind of fragile. I've seen a number of people say that premium phones should be metal now. So, you know, maybe at some point in the not so distant future, I think this form factor is unique enough and, and moves the needle enough that it's okay. But next generation, it may be time to kind of, you know, start changing that a little bit. Um, four gig of RAM versus six. We've kind of had this argument before. I personally don't know if it matters. Uh, you know, even the OnePlus 3T or 3 that has a 6 gig of RAM, you see when it, in actual practice, it's not actually caching more apps really. So, you know, again, I, I don't know, but if from a future proof standpoint, if it had 6, it looks better certainly on paper. They're releasing a 6 gig variant in China, as a matter of fact, for that reason. Um, so, I mean, you know, again, not a long list. You're right. Um, overall, I think it's an exceedingly well executed phone. And personally, I think it's, it definitely stands ahead of other Android phones on the market. But there's always room for improvement. Samsung's not immune to this. There's definitely some compromises that you can see occurred. Um, and now as far as price, um, it varies a little bit for the carrier, but effectively what you're looking at is $750 for the Galaxy S8 and $850 for the uh, Galaxy S8 Plus. As you all remember, a scant, what, six months ago, uh, I was saying I would never spend $850 on a phone when the Note 7 got announced, and I was so upset at Samsung, but... Uh, I went ahead and pre-ordered it anyway, so I guess I'm completely full of shit. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to justify this to myself by the fact that Samsung uh, refunded me $150 extra for no particular reason on my Note 7, so I'm playing with a little bit of house money, but look, these phones are expensive. Um, we've discussed this with the Pixel, though. The most expensive phones on the market are the Pixel, the iPhone, and the Galaxy S series. Yep. And I think those are the three most well-rounded phones on the market. So Agreed. to me, this is one of those things where you can argue value all day. Um, the OnePlus 3T costs $479. It's a fantastic phone. They just released a matte black version that looks incredible. Um, you have the Mate 9 on the market. It's $599, and you can get it even for less expensive than that in some places. And it's an exceedingly well-rounded phone that in many ways is probably a better value. Um, but if you're... Again, when you look at the totality of features that Samsung stuffed into this phone, I think you look at a design that is pushing the envelope of what Android, actually any phone right now, it definitely looks better than an iPhone too. Absolutely. Pushes the future a little bit. Um, I think they're appropriately priced. As you said, you are getting 64 gigabytes of base storage too, which is another thing. You, again, you can make the argument all day long that phones are too expensive. You can make the argument that these phones are too expensive, and I think it's an argument worth having, perhaps. But in the greater context of what the market's willing to bear and kind of where phones have been historically, these are on the higher end, but I don't think they're completely outlandish. And I think that it becomes less outlandish uh, of a value proposition, not necessarily from a financial standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint. I think most people, and we've had this discussion, when they walk into a retail store or they walk into a, a Best Buy, um, people are going to look at these devices and just go, wow, like I really want that. I went to a Best Buy over in Orange and I walked in and looked at the devices and there was another gentleman there with me looking at the devices as well. 
And he asked me a couple of questions because while we were waiting for the sales representative to come over, um, I had my own phone out and I was taking pictures and I was doing some other comparisons. And uh, the first thing that struck me was that he immediately mistook my Pixel XL for an iPhone because he asked me if I was thinking about switching from iPhone to Android. How funny. The Google phone. Which was hilarious (laughs) because I told him, I said, oh, no, it's not an iPhone. It's a Google Pixel. Uh, And he goes, oh, okay. Uh, And then the second question he asked was, there really isn't any reason to get the smaller one, right? And kind of to dovetail along that, um, again, a big shout out to uh, the folks over at Phone Arena, but they have a report that Samsung is ramping up production of the Galaxy S8 Plus because retailers are allegedly more interested in the larger flagship. And that seems kind of interesting to me. And I think that Samsung actually has done themselves almost a disservice from this standpoint of they made two really great phones, but they made one so much more attractive maybe than the other, just because the differences in terms of spec is minimal. The difference in terms of size is really not that noticeable. And again, if you're looking at basically a hundred dollar difference between the two, uh, you know, for some people, the smaller Galaxy S8 will probably be the device that they want just because they want the most compact device they can get. But I think from the standpoint of a media consumption device, if you get people who walk in and look at it and go, wow, what is that? I want that. And they see this big, beautiful screen and they go, wow, well, this one really isn't that much bigger and it's only $100 more. I can absolutely see where Samsung is getting the impression that retailers are going to want more of the Galaxy S8 Plus than they are of the Galaxy S8 just because I think people, especially in the American market, are going to realize that this is a phone that you can use for a lot of different things and that you can have for a very long time. So there's really no reason not to spend the extra hondo and get the device that is the larger one but still fits relatively easy into your pocket or backpack or purse. Yeah, and I see that happening too. I think if you go play with them side by side, you may very well come to that conclusion. I don't know if Samsung's shooting themselves in the foot. I would imagine the margin on the larger one's probably higher than the margin on the smaller one, perhaps. So as long as they're not losing customers to other phones and they're migrating them to a higher margin, larger model, then they're fine. And you know, you're getting the larger battery, I think is the other main thing you're getting on the Plus. Um, I would imagine, based off of what I've seen so far, it looks like the Plus is going to have the better battery life, very similar to what we saw last year. Uh, between the S7 and the S7 Edge. But, yeah, I mean, look, Samsung did a great job. There are some trade-offs. Um, we didn't even get into things like it's because it has a Snapdragon 835, it has uh, uh, the 4x4 MIMO, and, the, you know, it can do gigabyte LTE, basically. Yep. And we've already seen in the T-Mobile test lab some test units hitting 835 megs per second or something. So Crazy. it does have some nice network advantages, too. But, yeah, Samsung needed to rebound from the Note 7. I think they already had a lead as far as industrial design and phones, in my opinion. Uh, but it is striking to see how much newer these phones look. Even when you put them up against the S7 and S7 Edge, which actually, in my opinion, are still good-looking phones, when you put them up against the S8 and the S8 Plus, they look dated immediately. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, good job, Samsung. Good on you. And I think um, one of the things that we touched on earlier, uh, before we came on air was something that absolutely is going to ring true in that Apple and Google later on this year are going to be releasing a phone for each of them, Apple's new iPhone and potentially three different versions and Google's pixel XL and pixel second generation. Um, and they're going to have to bring it 
like when you bring up the Pixel XL now and compare it to the Galaxy S8, it's not really a valid apples to apples because you're talking about a phone that was from the second half of 2016 versus the first half of 2017. Obviously, the S8 Plus and the S8 were in production a long time ago, so they have a distinct advantage in terms of design aesthetic and technology. But just looking at the two devices, you can immediately tell which phone most consumers are going to want to buy. And I think that is going to put a lot of pressure on Apple to move their design forward. Even if it, even if it already is in production, they're, they're going to definitely want to rethink their strategy. I think Google is already starting to rethink some of their strategy, or at least I hope they are. There have been some musings that they may be getting their act together with things like water, Western, can't talk dust and water resistance, and uh, maybe even potentially doing their own custom chip architecture as well. So, um, Apple and Google are going to be on notice. This phone from Samsung really brings the heat and they're poised for a record quarter. Note 7 debacle six months ago, notwithstanding. I I agree. I I think that it's funny. Six months in the past couple of years, the design of smartphones really hasn't changed much. This is the first kind of really big push where, I mean, because even with the edge screen, you lost a little bit of side bezel, but you still had the top and the bottom. I think this is definitely a shift in the aesthetics of smartphones um, where it looks, it makes phones that are six months old look dated um, immediately. And it makes the Samsung phones from last generation look really dated. And that hasn't really happened in the last couple of years. We've seen bezels trimmed a little bit and whatnot, but really the phones look very similar from year to year. I mean, I think you could take a 2014 phone and put it next to the Pixel and it wouldn't look that dissimilar as far as bezels and whatnot are concerned. But if you put either of them up against the Galaxy S8, they look older. Um, So again, I think this is good. It'll kind of elevate everyone in that direction and uh, bigger screens, smaller bezels, more comfortable in hand, consumer wins. Absolutely. And speaking of the new design language for phones of 2017, you got a chance to um, take a look at both the S8 and the LG G6. What uh, what were your thoughts on the comparisons between the two? So the, the G6, first of all, is a really nice phone. Uh, I've used every main LG release phone for, God, the last five years at some point or another, and uh, this is the nicest phone they've made since the G2. I think the G2 was kind of a phone that was ahead of its time, small bezels, and a lot of people still look fondly at it. Uh, I think to many people that was kind of the height of LG's you know, smartphone division. Uh, and the G6 is better. Uh, it's using a glass and uh, metal wafer design that's very similar to a Galaxy S, but it's really sleek. Um, when you walk in and you hold it, it's very similar to the Galaxy S8, and it's a lot smaller than you're expecting. It's a 5.7-inch screen, but again, putting it next to my 4.7-inch screen iPhone, they're almost the same size. Uh, And again, that's because LG is using an 18 to 9 ratio screen versus the 16 to 9 ratio screen that most phones have been using in the past. So it's it's narrow and tall. Um, Other nice things about the LG phone, uh, it has a flat back, no camera hump whatsoever. So it sits flat on everything. I think the black version is especially striking. It looks really nice. Uh, it's a little nondescript. I've seen a lot of people say that, but I actually think that's a, a good thing. I, I think it's a really nice looking phone. Um, the screen's an IPS LCD. It's not as nice as the AMOLED screens on the Samsung, but it's by far the best LCD that I've seen from LG. Historically, their screens have been kind of cool from a color temperature standpoint, not very bright, especially with the G5. I actually thought the V10 had a pretty fair screen. The V20 is okay too, but the G6 is better than both of them. Um, the software is cleaned up for LG. It's still a little bit 
bloaty the same can be said for samsung's grace ui compared to something like stock but when i was moving about the user interface everything was fast uh as you would expect with a snapdragon 821 phone it, it was fluid everything moved fine um the curves on the screen the you know they have a rounded edge um they look fine if you look closely you can see though samsung did a smarter job with the curved edges and what i mean by that is what lg did is they actually made the screen have a curve there and so what you see when you're loading up images is you can kind of see jaggedness a little bit around the curve mm. samsung screen by comparison from what we can tell it actually is a flat screen it doesn't have curved edges they just put the bezel over the flat screen so that it covered the edge and made the rounded effect so there's not it doesn't have that jagged looking edge again that's something you really have to be looking at um to notice but Here's my issue with LG's phone, and it's a little bit less expensive, by the way. Uh, we, we were kind of picking on LG. We were afraid that the phone was going to be really expensive based off of leaks we had seen in Europe and Asia. That did not end up being the case. It's about $650 here, which is uh, $100 less than the Galaxy S8 if you're, if you're looking at it that way. But there's a trade-off. You're only getting 32 gigs of storage versus 64 on the, the Galaxy S8. Um, so overall, best phone LG's ever made. Uh, I read the Verge review of it today. Um, and they gave it kind of the participation award. And they didn't mean that in a mocking way. They kind of said the same thing. It's the best phone LG's ever made. But compared to the Galaxy S8, it's there's nothing super compelling about it. And as we kind of discussed previously, the reason that LG went with the Snapdragon 821 was to get a head start on the Galaxy S8 twins. Because the choice was either release early with an 821 or release after the Galaxy S8 and try to fight your way into the market. Just like a party. Nobody cares if you're early, but everybody cares if you're late. Um, the problem is, in in real practical terms, in the United States, the difference is about two weeks. So, you know, some T-Mobile customers got their LG G6 early. T-Mobile generally ships early. But for most people on those carriers, the difference is about two, three weeks tops. The, by the time the G6 released, the Galaxy S8 has already been announced. Samsung had display models everywhere virtually the day after the model. And when I went to T-Mobile, it was funny. The, the, the kid was very nice, and he obviously doesn't know that I spend way too much time looking at phones and know more about them than he does probably. Um, and they didn't even have their Galaxy S8 display models up yet at the T-Mobile. So they have the G6, and I was looking at it, and he comes over and he starts talking about it. And, he, and he's kind of going over some of the features and whatnot. He's doing a fair job of it. And then he goes... Yeah, but you know, I wouldn't buy this phone. I would wait and buy a Galaxy S8. He's like, we've already been training on them. They're better. They're this They're and awesome. that. And I was just listening going, man, LG is so screwed because you have the combination of, I think if you just walked up to both phones, the Galaxy S8 looks cooler aesthetically. Then you have on top of that Samsung. I think I read Samsung spent over $10 million on marketing last year. Um, so, you know, that's a lot as it turns out. So you it have is. that. It now, really is. I cannot even imagine what LG's marketing budget is, but I would guess it's like 5% of that. I have no idea. Um, so they have a lot of headwinds blowing in their face to make this phone successful. And that's a damn shame because it is, if you remove the Galaxy S8 from existence and you just walked in and you saw the black version of the G6, it looks better than a Pixel. It looks better than an iPhone. It has a very futuristic futuristic design with these small bezels. But we don't live in that world. And and I think they squandered a lot of the benefits they had if they could have beat the Galaxy S8 to market earlier. Um, they just didn't do it enough. Um, 
I could still see people buying this phone. I have a feeling that it'll drop in price relatively quickly. And again, as the price point difference starts to to get larger, kind of that gap, I think the G6 becomes more compelling. Um, but you know, I just I can't see it moving the needle much. The timing just is not in their favor. Yeah, we've talked about this on previous pods. It really does. It sucks for them because they finally produced a really good phone, maybe the the best phone that they've had in you know three or four generations, and it's going to get stomped by the Galaxy S8. Now, that's no shame to LG because they're going to stomp. Samsung's going to stomp everybody that is releasing a phone this year that doesn't have a piece of fruit on the back of it, probably, and. You know, again, Google is still trying to make headway into this market. Who knows how many pixels they sold? Um, Two point one million is the latest number I saw. And you would think that that's a lot, and you would think that that is a good thing for them. And you also would be hard pressed to try and find one anywhere, uh, especially in Canada, where apparently they're discontinuing the one hundred and twenty eight gig version. They're only getting started on Google's supply chain management or mismanagement, as the case might be. But the end result is is that Google is one of the very very few companies that can get into the hardware game and have enough money and maybe even cachet for that matter to compete with Samsung on a level playing field. Right now, only Apple's probably in that ballpark um, to be able to compete with Samsung. And if Google gets in and, and they do some good things, there there might be a way to bleed some market share away from Samsung. But to, to me, the, the top-end, premium, high-end phone market is consolidating to three companies, and Google, Samsung, and Apple are those three companies. Yep. And what the problem is, is you still have Motorola, HTC, and LG trying to play in that area. And unless they can come up with something that we're not even able to think of, they can make perfectly nice phones, but even if they match the Samsung somehow, or match the Apples of the world, between the marketing budget, the name recognition, and a variety of other factors, they can't do it. They just can't compete. And, and, you know, maybe years from now, things change. Look, this is not a static environment. Um, I just, I can't see these companies. You see it now. Really, the Android market, the top three companies are uh, Samsung, um, Huawei um, is actually, I think, the second largest Android OEM now. And then, you know, you're going to have Google obviously making a lot of headway with their Pixel line. And it's just... Those companies are so big, it's just hard for these others to compete. And that's not to say HTC and LG are small or Motorola even. They just, I don't know how they do it. it, it, The headwinds of, to try to really break the sales kind of, I don't, it's not a duopoly, it's a triopoly between Google, Samsung, and and what Apple's obviously doing is, I I don't know how you do it. I, I don't know where they begin. It's tough, and really the advantage that Apple and to a lesser extent Google have is their ecosystem lock-in. Like, It's incredibly difficult to leave an iOS device because of things like iMessage and iCloud and all of their other services that you're probably so heavily invested in. You know, with um, what's the Apple thing that everything synchronizes across all your platforms? Yeah, but they have a like they call it synchronicity or something like that. So you can pick up something on your iPad and then walk away from it, pick it up on your iPhone and carry on, and then go to your Mac at work and pick it up from there too. Like just everything is seamless across all of their platforms. And so um, Google has replicated that to a much lesser extent, but people who are heavily invested in the Google ecosystem have a choice with Android, but if 
and this was personally how I felt, if I can get everything from Google directly, all of my services, and get the phone from them too, uh, provided it's not an absolute disaster and a flop, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And that's why I've owned a couple of different Nexus devices and why I now own the Pixel, because I am locked into Google's ecosystem. Samsung has great hardware. They have a lot of great hardware, in fact, but they have had trouble with software and that is where the ecosystem comes in. And if you don't have that ecosystem, Samsung is, is smashing everyone else in terms of the hardware standpoint, but other competitors can and will come if they can't get the ecosystem thing figured out. And again, they've got tons of money, and uh, apparently a lot of it's going into their marketing budget. But if they can't figure that out, then potentially um, they may have issues down the line if, if things don't resolve themselves. But we're a long way off from that. Um, they're supplying OLED displays for the new Apple iPhone, apparently. So, you know, even if all they did was produce parts for other people, they'd probably still be successful. But um, who do you think, whom would you recommend the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Plus for? I think they're such well-rounded phones. I think anyone that's considering an Android phone should look at these um, because when you're looking at the, the you know things that matter to buyers, I think it's screen, which you have the best screen. I think it's camera, which I think it's fair to say that this will remain that top tier with the Pixel and the and the Apple iPhones as far as the the best camera. Um, 64 gigs of storage plus SD card slots. So for those people that need storage, you have it. Um, you know, there, there's not a ton in the way of weaknesses on this phone, so I think it's easy to recommend for almost anyone. If you're looking for a pure Android experience, so, you know, those people on, like, you know, our Android and you, and people looking for a very uh, stripped-down experience, I think you would look at the Pixel first and then the OnePlus 3T probably if you're looking for something less expensive. So, you know, for those people, and, and that's a limited use case, it's probably not for them. Um Historically, the Snapdragons have all been bootloader unlocked, so if you're someone who wants to tinker with their phone, uh, this may not be the phone for you. But for anyone else, I mean, it's available on all the carriers. You can finance it. Um, it does everything well. It's, it's well-rounded. You have the two form factors to choose. Um, I, I think anyone looking for phones should take a look at these. I think they, as far as the totality of what they do and the, the features that they offer, they stand toe-to-toe with anyone out there, any, any other phone that exists. And... Um, as a final note for me, big ups to Samsung, if I could say that, for finally not putting a logo on the front of their uh, phone. Uh, it looks much cleaner without it. They don't have a home button on the front to put it on anymore. Yeah, yeah God, Verizon logo on the Note 2 is the worst thing ever. Um, and also, uh, with the soft keys, they let you reorder the soft key so you can put the back button on the other side, which is the way Google... And God intended it. Absolutely. One of my most underrated <laughs> favorite features of this new device. Not joking at all. This is the way that nature intended Android and navigation buttons to be. Now, the buttons are ugly as Sammy make baby Jesus weep in heaven. Um, but hopefully with the theming engine, we'll be able to change those to something more manageable. But at least you can reorder them and no logo. Mostly good here. Samsung did a great job. LG... Sorry, you made a fantastic phone. I could see you recommending it to people over time, but it's hard to recommend it over the Galaxy S8. With a uh, you know, $150 price cut, I think the G6 becomes a little bit more of a compelling option. But when you're playing in roughly you know 10% of the price range of the Galaxy S8, no way anybody's going to recommend it over that same Galaxy S8. So 
Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Man, it's a good year for phones so far. Can't wait. Very excited. Second half of the year is poised to be just as good as the first. So uh, as a reminder, you can find all of our writings at SiliconTheory.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Silicon Theory. You can drop us an email at SiliconTheory at gmail.com. And uh, if you like the podcast, enjoy what we have to say. Please make sure on your favorite platform to uh, give us a five-star review. It really helps out. Leave us some comments. Um, If you read uh, or if you leave us a comment, uh, we will read it on the next podcast. So consider that your incentive. Um, That wraps it up for the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus. Thanks very much, guys. And we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, everyone.